Good morning. Welcome to the Story Church. Glad y'all are here this morning. Memorial Day weekend. All your friends are at the lake or the beach or somewhere fun and you're here. Which means you are the true believers, the saints among saints, all right? So congrats. Glad y'all are here. If you're joining us online, no shame in that game. Wherever you are, if you're at the lake or whatever, we're just jealous. That's all we are is a little jealous. So we're glad you've, uh, you've tuned in uh, by way of the internet as well. Our Timber Grove campus has live preaching. Pastor Kale is uh, preaching over there, so I don't need to welcome that campus to the, this message today. But really glad that y'all are here. If we don't know each other yet, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor at the Story Church. We are uh, going on eight years now as a community of faith, and God just keeps getting better and better with us and just keeps showing us um, his ways for us, and we just are so blessed, and I'm so glad y'all are a part of this today. If you're looking for a place to connect beyond an hour on Sunday mornings, I hope that's what you're looking for. Um, This is great. This is just the beginning, so we'd love to get you connected beyond that. Don't leave here today if you're looking for that without talking to somebody at the connect table or talking to me or one of the leaders of the church. Um, to find a way to get connected to smaller groups where you can grow deeper and ask your questions and have conversations rather than this one-way conversation we have on Sunday mornings. So um, I'm going to share a message in just a moment. First, I want to remind you of what we announced last Sunday, which is that summer of 2023, which is upon us now, Memorial Day weekend's like the unofficial beginning of summer, right? So we're calling it the summer of love at the Story Church. And uh, what we're trying to do is help our single friends, our single Christians in the Houston area. The singles dating scene is just brutal um, out there right now with everything going online and app-based and all of that. It was supposed to help. It hasn't helped much. It's just made it harder for a lot of people, especially Christian folks that are looking for the one. So we're going to do what we can this summer to help them out. So there's an application process to be a part of what we're calling Operation Matchmaker. This (laughs) summer, uh, we are actually hosting through the Maybe God podcast, which is part of the Story Church. The Maybe God podcast team is hosting two singles mixers, for Christian singles um, here in Houston. Uh, Also, uh, we are taking the very courageous step of matchmaking at least one couple, maybe more, from among our applicants. And we are already kind of starting to work on that process a little bit. Pastor Gio and I, along with the Maybe God team, are pouring over the applications and figuring out who we're going to match up with who and how we can avoid any legal liability (laughs) that might come our way. So (laughs) hopefully it's all going to turn out well. Um, We we are having fun with this, but we also take this very seriously because a lot of our um, um, the folks call the story home. You're um, single, you're out there on the dating scene, and it's just, it's rough. We just want to sort of enter into that with you and feel that pain with you a little and give you hopefully a healthy outlet to meet other Christian singles throughout the Houston area. So be sure to sign up if you are single or if you know someone who is, be sure to get them this link, maybegodpod.com slash matchmaking. June the 2nd is, what day is that this week? Like Friday? It's coming. So uh, the deadline's coming, so be sure and get signed up. We've been, I've been pleasantly surprised by the numbers that we've seen already applying, so it's going to be a great summer of love this year at the Story Church. We're also wrapping up a series today. This is a, has been a four-part mini-series on the topic of baptism. Um, we're going to have this series cataloged forever now. People that are seeking baptism for them or their kids or whatever are going to have these four sermons to be able to go to and lean on for some teaching about what the Bible actually says about baptism. We've talked about three very practical components of baptism so far. Today is going to be a little crazy, okay? So today, we're not talking about infant baptism or, you know, um, a baptism as graduation like we did in week one. Today, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, 
we find this, especially the New Testament, we find this concept popping up over and over again. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is similar but somehow set apart from the baptism of water. Jesus, for example, when he's speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, um, verse 5, he explained, this, uh, he explained this concept this way. He said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So the question is, what does that mean? Does anyone know? Because you can come and preach today. Because that's a mystery, y'all. Throughout the scriptures, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. What is it? How is it different than the baptism of water? Who is it for? How many times does it happen? And to whom does it happen? Like all these things come up again and again. And, and the Bible gives us a lot of clues but not always a lot of clarity about what exactly we're talking about when we talk about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to tackle today. And I'm just going to tell you this. If you have ever felt like, or if you feel like right now, your faith journey is dry or thin or powerless or just rote and ritualistic and you're going through the motions because it's what you're supposed to do, I'm telling you the topic we're on today might, might be the most important thing for you to be thinking about right now. Because if your faith is powerless and your, your walk with Jesus is feckless at times and it just feels dry and empty, it could be because you've yet to grasp the meaning and power of the Holy Spirit's baptism. Okay? So that said, I confess that most of my life I have been a massive skeptic where Holy Spirit anything is concerned. And I think it's partially because of how I grew up and how I experienced people who claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I found it to be threatening. I found it to be a little bit unfair that they got something I didn't as a believer. Like uh, uh, all kinds of ways, I found it to be off-putting. I remember the first experience that I, that I have in my mind of, of seeing a baptism of the Holy Spirit happen was at my little Methodist church. And I grew up Methodist, and yes, sometimes people do get baptized with the Holy Spirit in Methodist churches. I was in the South, in the Bible Belt, in the small town, among poor folks. All of those sort of categories make it more likely that you're going to come in contact with, with Holy Ghost Christians, right? It's just demographically, I was in a hot spot for this. So I was seven or eight years old. We had a pastor named uh, Brother Sam, Brother Sam Stafford, who was an old guy, but uh, man, he brought it. And he had these prayer and prophecy nights where all the church would gather and he would pray over them and lay hands on them. And it's the Lord calling. And then, <laughs> if your phone rings, I want to make a joke about you. Sorry. And then, and then what would happen is Pastor Sam would lay hands on a believer and, and they would fall out. And I learned later that's being slain in the spirit. That's what that's called, being slain in the spirit. When you just fall out on the floor, sometimes they would convulse even. It was kind of scary for a kid. I was seven or eight. And, and sometimes, you know, um, they would speak in tongues. I remember finding that very strange. And I was sitting next to my friend's mom, Miss Sherry, as I called her. And I looked up at Miss Sherry. I said, what is happening? What, what's going on with them? And she said, they've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, Eric. That's the first time I ever heard that sort of phrase. They got baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I thought, at first, my first thought was, why haven't I been? Like, what's wrong with me? Because that's kind of how I was wired. Preacher's kid complex, right? Like, what's wrong with me? Why did I miss this boat? But uh, over time, it just sort of developed. My whole theory of Holy Ghost baptism was related to that event, which is very dramatic. 
and kind of threatening, which may be how some of you have experienced Holy Ghost Christianity. Okay? Now, things were exacerbated in that regard because I grew up in the 80s and 90s before there was like 300 different options about what to watch. We had three or four channels when I was growing up, and man, the Pentecostal preachers were hitting all of them. Like they were buying up time on every channel, and I grew up watching stuff like this early in the morning or late at night. This stuff would come on, and, and if you're listening online and not watching, you're missing a show, man. This guy, Pentecostal preacher, he's got some moves. He's like bopping people, and they're falling out. That guy had cancer, and supposedly he's being healed of cancer in this moment. He just keeps slapping him, just knocking him down, and he gets back up. He's like, next. I want the next one. Bring the next one up here, and he brings the next one up. It's a woman, and I don't know how he gets away with that. I didn't know there was a time in this country where you could just hit a woman like that, but this is, he's just going after it. Wham! He gets her again. She falls out. The next one is the best one, all right? So he's just like, I'm not done with you yet. Wham! Again, she goes down. And now he comes this time for the ushers. He's like, you guys aren't immune. Wham! With the zappers. And they fall out. And he does this dance, which is the best. He's like Elvis up. Woohoo! Like, look at that. All right. So that is another factor. Frank, I'm not showing that to make you laugh. It's making you laugh, but that's fine. But I'm showing you that to, to give you some insight into my psyche or my understanding of Holy Ghost baptism growing up. When I was a little kid, it didn't really affect me that much, but I stored away those images. And then as I grew up, you know, um, it got a little more complex. It got harder for me as my mind grew more sophisticated. It got harder for me to accept that as anything I wanted. Right, And if that's what the Holy Ghost baptism looks like, then it's going to be tough for me. Well, things got more complex when I went to college, and I immediately, from day one, fell in love with a girl who was a Pentecostal from Ecuador. And this Pentecostal girl from Ecuador made it clear to me from day one that she had every intention of marrying a Holy Ghost-filled Christian boy. And so I'm thinking, I got to do this stuff to get the girl. She's pretty awesome. Let's give it a go. So she would invite me to go and pray with her in the chapel. And there was nobody else on college campus where we were that went to the chapels. It was just the two of us alone. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity like that. Even if it is the Lord's house, I'm here for it. All right. So I went and followed her to the chapel. And I knew what kind of man she wanted. So I thought I needed to pray like the kind of man I thought she wanted. And so I, I'm not proud of what I'm about to tell you but I faked it, all right? I, I, I faked it, and here's why. I looked at that moment in prayer with her as a test to prove myself, and I wanted to pass that test like I managed to pass all the other tests in college by cheating, and so I just, I, I faked it, and I groaned and moaned a little. I sort of rolled around on the floor a little. I just kind of did whatever she did, and, and uh I ended up mumbling the names of some random East Texas towns that I knew she'd never heard of before, hoping she would think I'm speaking in tongues, you know, which sounds really close to the unforgivable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I pray that it's not, but I just faked it. Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches. <laughs> Sulphur Spring, Sulphur Spring, Waxahachie. Heresy, my friends. That's what I did, and I tried to to come off as a Holy Ghost-filled Christian. I think it worked. I think it worked until I drove her home to me and my family, and we drove through half of those towns that I had been repeating. <laughs> Maybe she caught on to it then. 
I'm not proud of it. But you know what? I also know I'm not alone because I have met many of you over time who grew up in charismatic churches. And you've told me, if not you yourself, and you knew people who, with some regularity, faked it in sort of social settings, either to fit in, which is totally understandable, fit in with your friends, or to get some overbearing Pentecostal, you know, uh, leader off your back, or to make the service end. Some of you were like, the preacher wouldn't end the service until somebody spoke in tongues, so why not, or whatever. It's like, the pressure of that situation, I I can kind of understand. Um, And even that Pentecostal girl from Ecuador, uh, who many of you now call Pastor Gio, by the way, uh, she has acknowledged that she's known many charismatic Christians over the years who at least embellished what was happening in those Holy Ghost um, moments um, for whatever reasons, good or bad. So anyway, what happened was I got the girl by whatever means necessary. (laughs) I got the girl. We got married uh, at age 20 while, while in college. And then a few months after we got married, I lost my faith. And I came out against many of the things that she thought I was for. It was a complicated first few years of marriage, to say the least. Um, But I came out against all of that because I was in uh, an upperclassman in college, and I wanted to be like the smartest people on campus. I wanted to be like the sophisticated professors, and they had made it abundantly clear to me that there was no room for, you know, shenanigans like Pentecostals are up to and, and sort of simple-minded Christians that, you know, there's no room for that. There's a chasm between sophisticated scientific thought and spiritual Christianity. And so I made my choice. And for the next 13 years, um, I became more and more cynical uh, and hard-hearted about, uh, about all things Pentecostal and charismatic, indeed, all things Christian, really. And anytime someone claimed to speak in tongues or be filled with the Holy Ghost around me, I just sort of rolled my eyes. And in those years, I did the one thing probably that's worse than faking a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is just denying the Holy Spirit's power altogether. And that's how I spent my life, even though I was still sort of orbiting the church, still leading as a church leader in some ways, I just denied all that supernatural stuff altogether. Anybody that knows my story knows that 10 years ago, Jesus, by his grace, woke me up to my own issues, my own sin, my own shortcomings. He woke me up spiritually, gently. He slapped me around and woke me up and uh, really poured his spirit into me. And here I stand, preaching the gospel, full of the Holy Spirit, hoping to lead as many people to Christ as I can for as long as the Lord gives me on this earth. So, How did that sort of transformation happen? Well, not all at once. Slowly, it's been a process. And if you are someone who's found yourself doubting or cynical or just feeling dry spiritually when it comes to these matters, I just want you to know you're not alone, and I hope the rest of this message will be of some service to you. I'm going to end up sharing four things that the Holy Spirit baptism is But first, I want to be clear about two things that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not. And this will be really quick. The first thing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not is an act. It's not an act. It's not a spectacle. It's not a show. It's not meant for the spotlight to make one guy shine brighter than the rest of the people gathered. That is not what it's for. In fact, it's antithetical to what the Holy Spirit is all about. And so um, that's why a lot of the guys over, year, over the years that have been frauds have been, uh, have been outed 
eventually and made to apologize or come clean for their fraudulence because that's not how the Holy Spirit works and you can't get away with defrauding the Holy Spirit for very long. It's not an act. If someone makes it into an act, if it's presented like a show, it's not the Holy Spirit's show that you're watching. You have to ask yourself, what spirit is this? Because there's more than one spirit out there. So if it's not the Holy Spirit, then what is it? The second thing that the Holy Spirit's baptism is not, that it is not behavior modification. Now, if you're not a very, let's say, charismatic person, sometimes you can overcorrect on the other side and boil the Holy Spirit down, reduce the Holy Spirit's power down to just, well, the Holy Spirit's my conscience. And the Holy Spirit has ramifications for your conscience, but that's not all the Holy Spirit is. Well, the Holy Spirit is just my good common sense. Well, it is partly that, but that's not all the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is power, supernatural power to do and say supernatural things. And if you boil the Spirit down to just some behavior modification tools, some morality police in your life, you will miss the power. And you'll forget, or it'll be lost on you, the fact that the best behaved believers that existed in Jesus' day were the ones who put him on the cross. The Pharisees, they behaved better than anybody, y'all. And we think behavior is all that it's about. No, of course the Lord wants you to get your act together. He's still waiting for me to get mine together. But what he wants is the relationship with us. And the relationship is the conduit by which we receive the Holy Spirit's power. And the Holy Spirit cleans us up, of course. The Holy Spirit helps us out and get our act together, stop sinning and all of that stuff. He breaks the chains. But that's, that's not all he does. He also will empower you to go out into the world to accomplish missions you never thought you would even be on, missions you never imagined yourself accepting, speaking truth and power into other people's lives. Like you never thought you would say things like what you'll say by the Holy Spirit's power. So let's not reduce the Spirit down for fear of being some crazy, you know, whatever, crazy Pentecostal. Like, that's really judgy, by the way, to say it like that. But for fear of being that, we're just going to be this buttoned-down kind of good-behaving good boys and girls. And the Holy Spirit just tells me what to, what to eat for I should have a salad. Like, that's not the Holy Spirit's. Maybe it is, but it's not all the Holy Spirit can do for you, okay? So there's different ways of missing it. I just want to make, make clear what the Holy Spirit is not. Um, so big picture here, let's talk about what the Holy Spirit and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Before we get into the points, the four points I'm going to share in a minute, I just want to share big picture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the source of your salvation, there is no such thing as a Christian who has not received the Holy Spirit or not benefited from the Holy Spirit or been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every believer, every follower of Christ has received the Holy Spirit. The baseline for salvation in the Christian way of thinking is summed up in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where Paul says, everyone who professes with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart, God raised him from the dead, everyone is saved who does those two basic things. And the rest of the New Testament is sort of this exposition of how the work of salvation in our lives is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so if you're someone who calls yourself a Christian, but you're not a spiritual Christian, I just want you to see the, the contradiction in terms there. There's no such thing as an unspiritual Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't experienced the Holy Spirit. The fact that you're saved is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not it. That's not the only time the Holy Spirit intervenes or is poured out into your life, but that's the beginning of a journey. 
that goes on uh, for the rest of your life on earth. Whereas water baptism is sort of a one-time thing in our church, the Holy Spirit baptism is something that you can tap into again and again and again and again to be filled up when you are empty and dry. Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Jesus gives us evidence for this very thing. There's no such thing as a Christian outside of um, Holy Spirit baptized Christianity. So this is Acts 1, verses 3 to 5. After Jesus suffered, he presented himself to them, to the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he, was still, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for me, wait for the gift that my father promised, <clears throat> which you have heard me speak about. That gift is, uh, he talks about in John 14, primarily, 14 to 17, where he talks about the advocate being the spirit that he would send after he ascended to the throne. Now, why couldn't the son and the spirit be on earth at the same time in their fullness? I don't know but it might have been just too much for it. Maybe our brains would explode having both of them in their fullness at the same time. Jesus had to ascend before the Spirit could descend. And, and, and then he says, uh, for uh, ba- John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, All of you, not just some of you, all of you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit when you believe in me, Jesus says. So every Christian is a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, okay? Uh, Paul sort of reiterates this in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, when he wrote, uh, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. Maybe you haven't explored that yet or made yourself open to that yet, but you have the Spirit of Christ. So don't undersell what God has done in you if you are saved. Okay, so let's get into what the Holy Spirit uh, baptism is. Now that we've sort of explored what it isn't, let's get into the nitty-gritty of what it is. Uh, The baptism of the Holy Spirit, number one, is always initiated by God. How many of you knew when you woke up this morning that you were waking up on Pentecost Sunday? Any theology nerds, liturgy nerds in the house today? Saw one faithful hand go up. That's good. All right. So a couple of you. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Christians the world over are remembering and celebrating the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the believers on Pentecost uh, Sunday. So uh, that, is, uh, that story is found in Acts chapter 2. What I want you to see here is that Pentecost, or the pouring out of God's Spirit, the baptism of His Spirit came from Him, not from the church getting it right. It came from God Himself. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So the supernatural moments happening here as the Spirit is poured out in its fullness for the first time on the church. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, and now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because one, each one heard their own language being spoken. So this was a language breakthrough that the Holy Spirit specializes in. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in our native language? And then there's a bunch of words I can't pronounce. Parthians and da 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 Okay, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring 
the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. The first criticism of the Holy Spirit-filled church was that they look kind of drunk. What does that tell you? Seriously, what does that tell you about the effects of the Holy Spirit's outpouring on the church? It's a party, or it should be. One of the sad things about the state of many churches across America today is that you would be hard-pressed to find one where you would walk in and go, these people have been drinking. Like, they're not having enough fun. They're not easygoing enough. They're not, they're not relaxed enough. They, they look like the opposite of drunk, whatever that is. And the Bible, the New Testament does this a lot, equating sort of intoxication by the Spirit of God with an intoxication with alcohol. And that's intentional because the point is you were made for intoxication. You were created to be intoxicated. But be careful with your substance of choice because too many of us take the easier paths of, of, of choosing to become intoxicated with elements of this world, this fallen world, instead of choosing the one element of our intoxication that, that is good for us, being intoxicated in the spirit of God. But that's why all those other things are so tempting because we were made for that sort of intoxication that comes from being so enamored and in love and intimate with God but we substitute with all kinds of terrible substitutes. What I want you to see is that the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, not because the Christians were the right kinds of Christians. They knew everything about the Holy Trinity. They could articulate the gospel perfectly. They knew how to make sense of Leviticus, and they had always been in church their whole life. No, this was their first time really gathering together, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them in its fullness. Why? Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is always initiated by God. It is a gift of grace. It is a gift of grace, and you receive it by faith. Second, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is initiated by God through belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you struggle with this concept of receiving the Spirit and the power of, of the Holy Spirit, could be because there's some hang-up maybe still. Maybe you're not actually all in with Jesus yet. And there's, hey, we're here for you. That's why this church exists, is for people that aren't quite sure yet. That's good. I'm glad you're here. But I want you to know that being all in with Jesus and believing, not just believing in him, but believing him and taking him at his word, like that is the opening, that by which the Holy Spirit is poured out into our lives. That is the opening, is belief in his gospel. There's this crazy story from Acts chapter 19 that I stumbled upon this week, just kind of, I didn't expect to preach on this um, story, but it just kind of hit me. In Acts 19, this is as the church is growing, Paul is going all over the place planting churches. Acts 19 verses 1 through 5, while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos was another church leader. Corinth was a city, obviously. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, another city. There he found some disciples. When we think disciples, we think Christians. Keep reading. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Um, and then they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's wild. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So these guys were sort of off the grid, and they had been baptized into something other than Jesus and his gospel and the Holy Spirit. So, so then Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Uh, and, and so these guys had been disciples of John the Baptist. 
Any Jewish person could be a disciple of any Jewish rabbi. And these guys were disciples of John the Baptist. The internet did not exist. You know, they didn't have like ways of information traveling quickly. So there were still some stragglers that hadn't heard the full story of John and Jesus and how they were related to one another um, and how John handed the reins to Jesus. So anyway, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism uh, was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is in Jesus. So he told them about Jesus, we presume here. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Wow. So the Holy Spirit came upon them after they put their faith in Jesus, after hearing the gospel. There is something about hearing, believing, receiving this simple gospel truth that Jesus lived the life we all should have lived and died the death we all deserve to die so that he could pay the price for all of our sins and that this, this tab, this debt that we've racked up generation after generation, this debt of sin has truly been canceled and there's nothing you can do to make God love you or forgive you any more than God has already loved and forgiven you in Christ. That's the freedom of the gospel. It sets the gospel of Jesus apart from every other worldview, religious or secular alike. Every other worldview will tell you, yeah, you can be in if you do this enough, or if you do that enough, or if you do this. Even secular worldviews will say, yeah, you can be uncanceled if you make it right. Whatever that looks like for whoever's judging you at any given point in time. Only the gospel of Jesus says everything that needs to be done has been done. All there is to do is receive it and respond in gratitude. That's why that powerful idea is why the gospel of Jesus has spread the world over, continues to spread to this day. That is why it opens your heart and your life up to the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Believing in the gospel is the mechanism by which we receive the baptism of God's Spirit. Third, the baptism of the Holy Spirit always yields certain gifts and certain fruit. I love this idea, and I love that the Bible is so clear on this because so much about the Holy Spirit is so mysterious, but on this, we have total clarity. Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit, right? Remember that statement? You can always judge a tree by its fruit. Look at the fruit, you know what kind of tree you're looking at. Well, how do we know what kind of spirit a person has? Well, the Bible tells us you can know if someone has the spirit of God by the, judging the fruit. You don't judge the person necessarily, but you can judge the fruit that you see, the fruit of their lives. What does their life produce? And even if someone is claiming to you know, speak in tongues or prophesy over you or have some kind of spiritual authority over you, if they are doing that and also producing fruit that looks like hate, or that looks you know, like bitterness, or that looks like rage, or that looks like unforgiveness, then they might have a spirit in them, but it's not the spirit of God. It's not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit always produces these fruits in the lives of those who receive him. And those fruits are outlined for us in Galatians 5.22, where Paul wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
The more of God's Spirit you have in you and the longer you have the Holy Spirit in you, the more you will see these fruits being produced in your life, in your relationships, in your home, in your heart, all of it. And without the Holy Spirit, we produce all kinds of other fruits. So the idea here is a little bit like that Supreme Court justice once said in, in maybe the 50s or 60s and when it was the obscenity case or the, it was actually a hardcore pornography case. And he said, I may not be able to define hardcore pornography, but I know it when I see it, which is a funny thing for a Supreme Court justice to write in an official opinion. But the, the Holy Spirit's a little bit the same way. Like it's hard to define what the Holy Spirit always looks like or how the Holy Spirit always works. But you'll know when you see it. The Bible gives us a lot of clarity about what the Holy Spirit looks like when he is at work in the life of a believer. Number four, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers. Guys, we have to dispense with the, the idea that there are regular Christians and then the Holy Spirit Christians. We just gotta be done with that. It's like there's the spiritual guys and they do all the crazy things, but I'm just a regular Sunday morning Christian, you know? No, baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers. I'm not making this up. This isn't wishful thinking. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13, Jesus makes this clear to us. He says, I say to you, and part of this is going to sound very familiar, but the last part might surprise you. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seek, seeks finds, and the, the, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, we have often preached and repeated this as though he's talking about material things that we all kind of, like, I'm seeking a hamburger, Jesus. Where's my hamburger? He's just like, that's, but that's not the, the heart of his teaching. Keep reading. He, he says, which of you fathers, Father's Day is coming up, right, in June, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So all of this teaching is culminating with that last part. It's the Holy Spirit that we need more than anything else God can give us. And the Holy Spirit is the best thing the Holy, that, that, that God can give us. Okay? It's the best thing for us. Sometimes we will be asking for all kinds of other things, and God in heaven knows we really need the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's saying, when you ask, that this father, of our, this father of yours will be faithful to give it. And he compares us, me, and us as dads, right? If you're a dad, everybody has a dad, some of us are dads, to the fatherhood of God. And he's like, you guys know how to take care of your kids, Right? Your kid asks you for an egg and you're going to give him a snake? You wouldn't do that, right? And Yeah, I like to think of myself as a good dad, but there are days <laughs> when, when, first of all, I just, I'm kind of a prankster, and I, if I have a plastic snake, I'm going to give him a snake instead of whatever he's asking for because I love a good prank. Also, my kids are teenagers now, and so this question is getting a little more complicated by the day. I'm just kidding. My kids are awesome. They're awesome. But... I understand my imperfection as a father, especially when compared to the perfection of God. What he's saying is that if your father's heart is willing to give your kids good gifts, how much more then is God, who is perfect, likely to give you good gifts when you ask him? 
How much more than will God give you his spirit himself to fill you, sustain you, to give you hope, to give you reason for going on, to give you answers, to give you power? How much more? Of course, the answer is clear. It's obvious. He is more than willing. So how? How then can you receive the Holy Spirit today? I tried to find a way to sum this up in one word. Since we're almost out of time, I'll share that one word with you. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? If I could sum it up in a word, it would be vulnerability. Sometimes we think of ourselves as grown up and sophisticated in our adulthood, and we've got all these complex thoughts, and God must just really be challenged by some of our questions sometimes because our questions are so... You realize how silly that is, right? You think your questions are hard for God? I think we sound like toddlers to God, or even pre-toddlers. Like when my kids couldn't talk yet, we had them doing sign language, and all they would do was crawl around the house going, more, more. You know, just do this more with hands. And, and I knew exactly what they meant. And sometimes, you know, I gave them what they wanted, but sometimes they asked for things that were bad for them, and I'd give them something that was good for them instead. And sometimes I wonder if we sound like toddlers to God, and sometimes I wonder if that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. We take ourselves so seriously. A child, if nothing else, is always vulnerable. There's something about the vulnerability of a child that the Lord looks for in us. Or the vulnerability of someone who is taking a leap of faith. Someone who is taking risks to follow Jesus. Someone who is willing to lose something this world offers for for the purpose of having something God offers. I think there's something about that vulnerability that opens your heart up to the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And so if you're in a season now where you just feel dry, bone dry, a little dead inside, I would ask yourself, I was asking you, when was the last time you got vulnerable with, with God? Or when was the last time you simply asked him for more of him? He is faithful to give to the one who asks. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you baptize us over again and again? Lord, would you just be poured out in our hearts and in our church? Some of us have received you before, but we're running on empty now, and we need need more of you. Some of us have been riding high and feel full, but we can always use more, Lord. So we open our hearts to you in vulnerability as your children. Lord, we see ourselves compared to you. We know that we are nothing. We should be nothing in your sight, but you call us worthy. So, Lord, we just ask for more of you. Would you fill us up? Would you embolden and empower us with your Holy Spirit? Would you you animate us and send us to do extraordinary things in your name, Lord? Holy Spirit, baptize us in your name. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.